Hey, we're back. Welcome to All 22. Uh, took a couple weeks off to do a lot of things. We appreciate your your patience there. Um, back this week with a double dose, so check out both episodes. Um, if you can, support us. Uh, obviously, subscribe, follow the podcast, whatever platform you use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, but then also um, put your hat in our June giveaway. So this month we're focused on sort of Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, spreading education around uh, just, you know, racial discrimination, institutional and systemic racism. So um, we're giving away your choice of uh, Relentless Love summer merch, so uh, tank top or crop top. And then you get two books this month instead of just picking one. One is The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, and the other is The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Michael T. Martin. Both of them should be required reading. Um, you really should get both. And you can get them free, uh, well, semi-free. Uh, you can get them as a gift if you uh, take part in our giveaway. It's pretty simple. First step, go to relentless.love and give at least a $5 donation. The more money we bring in, the more uplifting content we can produce. Number two, like or follow us on two out of three of our social media pages. Instagram, at relentless.love. That's relentless, D-O-T, love. Twitter is relent.love. Again, relent, D-O-T, love. And then Facebook is relentless.love. Um, so give at least $5, like or follow two out of three social medias. Um, and the winner is going to be announced on our social media platforms the first week of July. Hope you support us and hope you enjoy the show. All 22 podcast, man. Kelly, I know you were um, telling me you were recently listening to that um, new Jermaine Cole. Uh, Let me get your take on that, man. I mean, I, I should, I should, I should give the caveat here that I am not a huge J Cole fan, so take that for what it's worth. But I'll explain in a moment. But I wanted your insights first. Yeah, so I, I, I like Cole. Um, um, I've been on him, man. I've been on him since like. Like the warm up, the come up, and all of those. His last few projects, I really wasn't, you know, too fond of. Not saying it wasn't. I mean, he's a he's a pretty good lyricist. Uh, just the last few albums didn't do it for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like how. Oh, I was I only listened to it. I listened to it right before we got on, and I listened to it earlier a little bit. Um, so I don't have too much back uh too much backdrop on it uh too much backdrop uh too much info i I saw the tweets from no name allegedly because <laughs> neither one of them said each other's name but allegedly that's um who he was talking about and it his response to her from this and, I, and i've been saying this on social media period just okay your favorite rapper isn't you know it isn't tweeting anything it isn't coming out and i automatically thought okay kendrick and j cole because they're the two most prevalent you know they talk about uh the black struggle and you know things like that they're they're very conscious and my immediate thought was you know i know for a fact j cole is probably in his hometown you know right not rioting but protesting with his people and i know for a fact kendrick yeah. is the same and yeah. they're just they're both very low key people. Uh, they everything is through their music. Like I haven't heard Kendrick in three years. He needs to come out with something. He's tired. He's tired of us, man. <laughs> but and I automatically thought like these two, if anybody, they don't need to say anything for me to validate what they stand for. They don't need to have to come out and say anything because I know. And literally, a picture came out 
of J. Cole uh, marching or protesting uh, in his hometown a few days after, I think, whoever, uh, whoever said that. This was a couple weeks ago. And so I, I don't, I mean, I, I didn't, I think the song made sense. Um, I don't think her, her passing judgment or her passing judgment because he didn't tweet something. He's not a tweeter anyway. Like that's just not him. Um, I think that, yeah. I don't think that was valid. <laughs> and for one thing, it, this, it, this brings me to like the, the NBA thing, like with the Kyrie circle saying, Oh my goodness. You know, we need to, we don't need to come back because all of these things going on. LeBron James is saying, Dude, if we come back, now we even have a bigger platform because we're playing games. You know, they do the post-game interview, things like that. You can say things. You can do subliminal messages with T-shirts and things like that. That's where – so the two different sides are going back and forth about whether they should play or not. And the thing about it is, dude, if they don't play, you mean to tell me three months of basketball, of not playing basketball is going to solve the world's problem? Right. No. We're going to have black equality because basketball didn't happen. Like, no. <laughs> now, if you just say, for one, he's not playing anyway because he's injured. But if you're saying, um, you know, I don't know, man. He, he was saying stuff like we should, you know, build our own league and things like that. That all sounds good, but y'all aren't billionaires, bro. Like, y'all are hey. Y'all don't make, compared to the owners, y'all don't make anything. Right. So it all sounds good in context, but dude, you, you don't have the capital right now. Can you build it? Of course, if everybody gets together, but that's, that's in the long run. So that both of those situations remind me of each other. If you're on Kyrie's side, you're saying, well, hey man, <laughs> basketball is just a distraction. It's a, it's a distraction from what's been going on for 400 years. What you mean? <laughs> so, and if you're a poll, if you're mm. on no names or no name side, or if you're on the people who are saying, well, these rappers aren't saying enough. Well, they're out in the trenches. They're doing the work. So, right. I mean, I, I don't, that, that, that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> I didn't, I, I don't need a tweet from J. Cole. I don't exactly. need a tweet from Kendrick. I just, if I see you doing it, and if I don't see you doing it, I'm just call you a hypocrite. But, but I don't care. I don't need your, you. That's your life. I don't care. <laughs> you are one person. You don't, and it, you don't represent the entire black culture, dude. Exactly. And, and, and I think, I think our people, we, for one, will say, if somebody is embarrassing the culture, we'll say, well, he doesn't represent all black people. Then at the same time, we'll say, well, this guy said the wrong thing. Well, you're trying to say he represents all black people, but like, you can't, you can't yeah, do it. Not one person represents our entire community. So yeah, that's my take on it, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's interesting. Um, and for those of y'all just tuning into the show, we'll, we'll talk football a little bit later. Uh, but <clears throat> the context, everything going on, you know, I think this is a big part of the conversation. And it's like, look, you know, even with the whole well, one, the Kyrie situation gets on my nerves, like you said, because he's not playing. So that's 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 at the top of it. Number two, it's so is that easy for him to say this. Stuff. It's so easy for you to say that because you're not playing. Yeah. And second, it's so easy for him to say that because he's he's made more money 
than exactly. 90% of the guys in the league right now are ever going to make. Yep. Like what he made this year, some guys are going to make their entire NBA career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I get where he's coming from, but he, he's, not the, he's not the guy I want to have at the forefront when it says, hey, I don't want to come back and go to work. And, like, I, I, don't, I don't entertain the end of it. just like, oh, you know, sports and basketball players want to come back. That's not important right now. In the grand scheme of things, 95% of people in their jobs aren't important. Like, I work in politics. My job isn't that important when you think about it. You coach football. Your job isn't that. You know what I mean? So we don't yeah, want to, you, no one wants to get into that. Oh, is what you do really that important? Like, no, you don't want to go there because we're built in a capitalistic society. We, we, we have importance and validation uh, based off what we do for work and then based off what other people feel is valuable and important. You don't want us to start getting into these little existential conversations like where Socrates and, 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 and Aristotle about like what's important, what's not important because 90% of everybody's going to be out of a job. So let's go ahead and put that to the side. That being said, I, I, I think for me, I'm totally down with guys saying, hey, we don't want to play. It would be a distraction. I'm yeah. down with that. I would actually like if they didn't play for that very reason. Um, personally. <laughs> and the second reason is like, it's already late June. I don't care if basketball comes back at this point, like to be totally honest. So if it comes back, great. I'm not clamoring to watch basketball right now. So mm-hmm. I think all oh, that's fine. My issue is when they come up with this idea of just like, like, I think I saw Lou Williams with a quote. I don't, I'm not, I don't have time to look it up, but what I've heard from him and Dwight Howard and Kyrie is basically like, Oh, if we come back, it'll be a distraction. It'll take away from people being able to protest or push laws and all this other stuff. And that's just nonsense. And that's dangerous. You cannot make that argument because then that's incredibly disrespectful and, and disengaging and dismissive of people who are pretty much dedicated their lives to this work, even while basketball is going on. So you can say that you'll be distracted. You can't do the work if you're playing basketball, but when you start to creep into that, oh, you know, it's going to take away from people being able to protest and, and you know, advocate on behalf of people and go to city. Now, now, you're, getting, now you're getting out of hand, um, and you need to be called out on that. And I think that's my biggest thing. Again, if they're going to phrase it as like, you know, hey, if we're in this bubble in Orlando and we only have post-game, you know, press conferences and stuff to be able to get our message out, we don't want to play. That's fine. But the idea that the public is all of a sudden going to be distracted because y'all are dripping the ball, like, cool. And we shouldn't tell y'all don't stick to sports. And you shouldn't tell us how we're supposed to organize and do stuff we've been doing our entire <laughs> lives either. So th- th- that's, that's what blew me. Um, <laughs> I was like, hold on, Kyrie. I get what you're trying to say. But, but let's, let's, let's level up here. And on... The, on <laughs> That sort of leads into J. Cole. It's like, look, like I said, I'm I'm not a I actually like I like Cole's earlier stuff. I love I love Friday Night Lights. I love uh forget what it's called. The first two I like nights. everything pre 2014 Forest Hill Drive. That's actually perfect. Yeah. Cause after like, that, yeah, after that, I just I don't really after, after that, he's got into this mode where and he's built he's built himself where he can do this. He's one of those artists who every two years he just drops it. And he's he's kind of like, not saying he's Beyonce, Jay-Z, you know, on that level, but that's what they do. Mm-hmm. There is no rollout or anymore. It's just, hey, I'm going to drop this album, you know, at midnight one day. And I've been planning it, but nobody knows. Right. <laughs> I'm going to just drop this album. And it's certain artists who can do that now because they've established themselves and still sell records and get a contract, not a contract, but a concert, a full-length concert off of this. He's made it, you know, where he can do that. But me personally, I haven't liked anything since 2014 Forest Hill Drive. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't speak much about it. I, I'm not even going to sit here and say, like, he's overrated any of that stuff. You know, like, you know, music, rap in general is sort of subjective. You like it or you don't like it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not even going to go that far. I think for me, one, I actually, and, and I don't like cancel culture. I'm not a huge fan of it. The only thing that's going to make me cancel somebody is if I know they're, like, uh, a, a woman beater or a child molester. So I'm not into cancel culture. But I stopped listening to J. Cole, really, after I heard his verse on Planes at the end where he was just like, oh, I got a pill I can give you and all this other stuff. And I have pretty huge issues with, let me backtrack. I just saw a tweet, like somebody was talking about, oh, how he wrote Crooked Smile for this young lady and went out I just on her behalf. <laughs> and I'm actually gonna reply to it. Cause it was like, they listed all these things he's done. And it was like, and y'all's takeaway from his record was like misogyny. I'm like, yes, all the things you just listed can be true and he can be misogynistic. And I think that's part of the problem. And that one, I'm not having a conversation with anyone who says rap and hip hop does not have a misogyny problem. All right. So I will block you and move on if you try to argue with me on that. All right. That's, that's not a conversation I'm engaged with. And so now that we can acknowledge that as fact, you seem to tell me that here's a guy who's, who's gotten to where he is in hip hop, who has espoused some of the, some of the uh, lyrics and messages in his song that he's espoused on and that he can't have an ounce or an inch of massage of misogyny in him. And I think for me, that's, that's the problem. It's just like, I see both sides. I don't, like you said, I don't need J. Cole or Kendrick to say anything for me. I'm a black man. I'm not emotionally tied to any of these guys. They don't pay me. They don't feed me. They don't, another word, my dad used to say, talk about people that you don't really know, so you don't need to be emotionally connected to them. I won't say it. I'm a Christian. But like, I'm not emotionally connected to any of them. My thing is like, if you can't see both sides of this, then I think that's an issue for you and you need to sit down and do some, do some reflection. I didn't know no name's name until yesterday. Um, so I, I, that's not even a concept for me, but what I'm seeing is basically this idea of just like people who are offering criticism to him means like, oh, they're narrow minded or dense. And it's just like, no, like I listened to the song and the, the biggest takeaway is that, bro, this is the year of our Lord, 2020, uh, to where you can find anything you want to find on the internet. We've been locked in the house for three months. Like if you wanted to learn about black feminism and in the history of misogyny against black women in this country, like you just sat in your house for three months, bro. Like you had that opportunity. And the thing is, it's in so many different spectrums. It's not just academics. It's not just teachers. It's not just intimate partners. It's in, it's in creativity. It's in music. It's in artists and so on and so forth. And so it's like, I get what he's saying. Like, Oh, you know, be more loving and all this other stuff. And, and don't talk down to me. But at a certain point, if you're doing all the educating, you cannot expect that every time you need to be taught something, it's going to be delivered in the way that you want it to be taught. And I think that's my problem. And that like, I think people have taken the song run with, run with it and be like, Oh, he didn't do anything wrong. People are, you know, uh, people are narrow minded and all this other stuff. It's just like, no, like when somebody is educating you on something and delivering a message to you, you don't get to dictate how that message is delivered. Now, granted, they shouldn't go around and calling you all kind of you know, names outside of who you actually are and all this other stuff. But unless there's a level of like utmost disrespect there, if you're the recipient of said knowledge, recipient of said patience, recipient of said grace, recipient of education, you don't get to dictate how you receive that each and every time. And I think that's my thing. And then the last point is just like, you know, at some point men need to understand it's not black women's responsibility to teach us everything. It's just not. And one, if you want to learn it, you can. At this point, at this point in human age, what you don't know, you don't know because you don't want to know. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not buying the whole, oh, do it graciously, do it lovingly. I don't know this. Teach me. Nigga, you got Google. 
there's YouTube. And then there Everything. are plenty, and then there are plenty of people because they're like people who follow both you and I. And it's like, I'm constantly posting links to videos and articles and stuff. You just, you don't want to know. Like I've been retweeting Eve Ewing for seven years. I've been posting Nikki Giovanni videos for a decade. I've been reposting Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker stuff for, you don't want to know. And so I'm, that's fine. It's fine if you don't want to know, but where I'm going to retweet you and come back at you and, and invite you to a conversation and engage you in debate is when you try to act like, oh, you need to, you know, when you try to dictate rather how you should be communicated in those terms. And I think that's a problem for us as men in that, and I, I'll, I'll finally shut up after this, but it's like, I don't think most men can even really say, oh, can you show me this? Can you teach me this lovingly or graciously? Because as a man, naturally, you're not always going to be very receptive to being to your beliefs being challenged if they're not challenged in a certain way. Every single black man I know that's happily married to a black woman, one of the top three things they love about their wife is that their wife challenges them in a way they need to be challenged. It's in, in, a, in a way that most only black women know how to challenge a black man with a firm sort of balance of sternness, rebuke, love, correction. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just like, no, you, you say you want to be challenged in this way, but if somebody comes and does that in this timid manner, you're not going to receive it. So I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm not against my mans. I don't think the song is, is, is trash, but if, if folks are going to dismiss the criticism that he's getting, I think that's wrong. And nobody's canceling J. Cole. Like he didn't go out here and talk yeah, about yeah. raping nobody or having sex slaves. Like, you know, but we, we can't, we can't create a culture to where every time you have criticism, we come back and say, oh, y'all canceling J. Like, nobody said cancel J. Cole, bro. Like, where did that narrative even come from? He was getting critiqued. <laughs> you know? And, and, and criticism has to be valid. And if we lose that as a culture, then, you know, there's nowhere for us to go. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah, and uh, I brought up the uh, tweet. Um, it says, J. Cole made crooked smile for Ayanna Jones, marched for her, called out Debbie Dads, spoke on women's agency, over their bodies on lost ones, had a song about folding his wife's clothes, spoke on colorism in 2013, made Pretty Little Fears, and y'all's takeaway is misogynist. Pretty Little Fears is like one of my favorite songs. <laughs> J. Cole in black. Uh, like he really yeah, floated on that verse. Yeah, but, and, and I understand what she's saying, but at the same time, like you were saying, all rappers, and including J. Song, J., J. Cole, have a lot of misogynistic songs. Oh yes. Like, you calling you calling women B words and talk about having sex with you know, you know, uh running trains in college. Like he talks about this stuff. So yes. you gotta <laughs> you gotta see both sides. No, I'm not saying, well, men naturally we are misogynistic, if we're being honest. Like we have that our thoughts are misogynistic. Now, do we act on those thoughts? Like do we prey on women actively? That's a different story. But right. as a man, you think a certain way. So you can't, yes, he's, I guess he's turning a corner in his uh, later years. And, you know, he's not talking about that stuff as much. But you got to, you still got to bring that up. You know, you can't bring up past and not bring up all the past. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel you on that. Like, you, you can't, all rappers have misogynistic news. That's what rap is. Uh, I, exactly. You, you got to see both sides. 
I mean, I think, and I, and I, and we can close, we can move on to this. But to, to me, I think the struggle really comes from like, yes, he's done all those things, and I appreciate all those things. But like, on Lost Ones, the last line of the song, I think, and excuse my language, but it's like, man, if that bitch really pregnant, tell her get an abortion. I'm like, did you need to call her bitch? Like, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, and and, and if we really want to get into that, I can go through the discography and probably find like hundreds of lines there. So, you know. I think it's the same way of like, I think men need to recognize that there is always a level of misogyny in their thinking and the same way we're asking white people to recognize there's always implicit bias. Period. Same as that thing. And, same. And, and, if, and, and, and just like you said, like we don't, just like men don't actively think, well, is this kind of misogynistic? You know, if, if I go around, obviously it's my wife, but <laughs> if I'm looking at her, she walks by and I spank her on the butt. Like that's just my thought. But if you're in, uh, if you're in the streets downtown and you look, you're preying on their woman <laughs> the same way, and it's just how we think. So you gotta realize, okay, certain things that I do inherently as a man, you know, that I don't think about changing the same way the white people don't see, you know, themselves that they don't put themselves in our shoes. So. You gotta, you, you gotta think about it that way, and then you can actively say, "Okay, well, dang, I need to change my, <laughs> change the way I'm thinking." So yeah, makes too much sense, bro. Folks don't want to be called. <laughs> folks, I, I think people always struggle when they're called to be someone greater in and of themselves. You know, yeah. I think I think it's easy. And granted, like you know, y'all not about the all lives matter me here. Like I am clearly not one of those folks. It, but it, it's easy to say oh, white people need to do this. Or not just white, like this person needs to do this or this group of people needs to do that. But when it comes to an identity that you have and, and misconceptions or bias that, that you individually have, you know, I think people just struggle to get to that point and that's fine. But if we're going to sit, if folks are going to be able to, to sit in this belief of like, you know, what are people upset about? What does he need to be criticized about? So on and so forth. Then to me, it makes it harder to so blatantly dismiss white people who might be asking those same questions. Like you can't have it both ways. Um, And and so we talked about this is just like, why is this time so different for a lot of white people? You know, who really knows the answer? But I would think back, why why, why did it take this time? Why didn't it take Freddie Gray? Why didn't it take Corin Gaines? Why didn't it take Rodney King, whatever it is. And it's just like, we don't really know, but I don't, we, we can't, we can't expect white people to suddenly get it in that regard. And then as men, not be able to at least see where folks could find, particularly black women, where they could find some criticism and critique in this, not to the level of canceling. Cause I didn't see anybody say like cancel J. Cole. Right. But if, if you can't sit down and at least see where they're coming from after listening to that song, um, there's just some personal introspection. I, I think, I think you got You got to undertake. So uh, yep, yep. That's my that's my take on Jermaine. Um, <clears throat> but y'all have fun listening to his stuff. Um, move on to a little bit of football, man. I think there were, well, not I think there were positive coronavirus tests across the country. Um, I think Houston suspended workouts after six folks tested positive. Uh, they had cases at Auburn, Alabama, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and others. Um, I think this whole sort of <clears throat> well. One, everything's reopening, and it's like the the cases are going back up. That's a different conversation, you know. We don't we don't need to get into because I actually I read some. I don't even think it's technically 
like wave two because wave one never ended in the United States. Um, yeah, I think I don't think so. All this came up, and we stopped focusing on it. <laughs> yeah, but like we we're still in the first wave. Anyway, um, with all that said, Kelly, I just want to get some of your insight and as a coach yourself, um, a football coach. What, what are some things coaches around the country are doing? you know, prepare for the season. I think in your mind, you know, how has it impacted, you know, preparation this year as opposed to, to other years and what you think the outcome might be once the, once the season actually starts? Well, it's tough because typically in the summer, uh, you do – you bring guys in. Um, yeah, you bring guys in and um, you kind of let's – say, let's say school ends May 28th. All right, so school ends at the end of May, and you begin workouts probably first week or second week of June. And the way it works is coaches come in uh, a little bit before. Either you start at probably like 7, 7.30 or around 8. Let's say you started at 8. Coaches get there around 7.30, kind of go over <clears throat> the plan for the day, all right, uh, whether that's running, uh, conditioning, some speed, agility work, all right, plus the weight room. Maybe we're doing some um, position drills. Uh, maybe we're doing um, just conditioning in general. So say we come in at 8, we do the weight room first, all right? We get a good lift in. Then we transition into the field, do our conditioning, or our speed or agility work, and then we'll do position work. Then the coaching staff may meet after. So you're talking about about, let's say, 8 to 12. So you got about a four-hour work day between players and coaches um typically that's how it's typically been and so about four hours for the coaches about three hours of work for the um for the um players and now you go from about three hours of work position work conditioning um getting better at your craft you know getting stronger you go from about three hours, four days a week. Now these players only get them one. So we have to do it in, uh, in phases. So right now we have uh, – our team has four different groups. And it's a span of four hours. So in each – so the GHSA only allows 25, 25 kids at a time. So 25 kids, four groups – uh, you know, that's about 100 kids. All, I mean, obviously, all, every group might not have 25, but at the maximum, 25 kids. So you only have 25 kids working out at a time. So not only, not only do you go from about three, three and a half hours of work, what we've done previously in the summer, you take that down to an hour on field or weight room work. Plus, the entire team isn't, you know, getting that camaraderie. You know, they're not getting to know each other because everybody's not in the same setting. It's only 25 kids on each each time. So the positive is everybody's on the same playing field because the rules apply to everybody True. in the state. True. You know, that's 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 the positive. Obviously, the negative is if you have a new coaching staff, you know, things like that, you got to get adjusted uh, to the new scheme and new, um, uh, I guess, the new terminology of the playbook and things like that. So... The positive, everybody's going through the same thing. Negative, obviously, there's a lot of adjustment. But if you have a solid coaching staff, if you have a coach, a head coach who's been 
not been in this specific situation, but just have that experience in general, um, I think it'll be okay. The, the, the hardest part is, you know, coaches are used to just hammering, all right, you got to be conditioned, you got to be conditioned. But you, you can't rush this. These kids haven't done anything since March. <laughs> um, obviously, yeah, they've probably real. been running on the phone. But, you know, they haven't done anything structured since March. And they probably want – and during March, you know, that was pre-spring football. You were probably just getting started with work. It was So, in reality, if you didn't run track or you didn't play a second sport, you haven't done anything since the fall. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's you, – you, you just hope that the kids have been doing something. You just hope for the best. But, yeah, man, that, it, it's rough, but – I think just because everybody's on the same playing field, I think I think everything will work out. Yeah, I mean, I I think all that is is uh, one is interesting, but two, I don't think I I could. I'm not gonna say I could manage that if I were still playing sports, but I think about like the high school and college game, and I'm like anticipating what kind of play we're gonna have when when those seasons kick off. Um, and I actually just English soccer came back today. Um, and German soccer came back a couple of weeks ago, but those games, the games have not been good um, so far. I mean, German soccer is getting better, you know, because they've been going at it for a few weeks now. Um, but I think in every sport, you can see when guys have been off. Yeah. And, and I'm like, th- th- these are professional soccer players, like with access to, like they have, they have nutritionists who even in the lockdown can like, Bring them meals, send them meals, do workouts with, you know, have the best equipment at home. Like these are guys who get paid to do this. So I'm um, I'm really I'm not gonna say I'm concerned, but I am intrigued um with how especially at like the the top level of high school football, when you talk about like six A and five A in Georgia, you talk about Texas Caps so or Louisiana, like what what level of sort of ramping up coaches are gonna have this summer. Um, how that's going to affect the play, but then especially at the college level, because it's even in, you know, in the power five conferences, like, yes, this is big time football, but these guys aren't being paid. They should be, but you know, so they don't have, like, I think people forget the concept. Like uh, I saw a picture of Joe Burrow after the draft when he was back at his parents' house. And there were some people like making fun of like his room is, you know, a Samsung setup and all this other stuff. I was like, Joe Burrow just graduated college and it's a Maybe. pandemic. So he can't go buy his new condo in Cincinnati. Like, he, he just graduated. But I think we forget that. And so it's just like, th- that's the guy who eventually won the Heisman Trophy and was the number one draft pick in the NFL. How do you really get these other guys prepared to play football at that level in just a few months when they just spent three months literally in their mother's basement? And that's not a knock because they're 20 years old. That's where you should be. You're in college. But, like, making that transition in a much shorter amount of time, I'm not going to say I'm worried about any sort of the, the dangers around football, but I do think, and we mentioned this before, like, you know, football is a sport where you have to be in shape to play it. You can get on the basketball court and not be in shape. You can get on the baseball field and not be in shape. You can even get out there in soccer and probably not be in shape. You'll just get, you know, you'll, you'll get embarrassed. But, like, football, you ha- your body has to be at a certain point especially when you talk about the top levels of high school, you know this, especially the top levels of high ball, you know, in college. And that's the only thing, like, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm concerned about because they've got the best, you know, doctors and, and strength coaches and all this other stuff. But, you know, in, in lieu of everything you just shared with us, I'm interested to see, you know, how that 
how 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 basically these teams are getting these guys prepared for in such a short amount of time. Yeah, we I don't know if we mentioned this on the pod that we were just talking last week about strength and conditioning coaches. And a lot of high schools either don't hire one or they hire a guy who says they know about strength and conditioning coaches. So yeah. And, Fortunately for us, <laughs> we just hired a really good one. I know him personally, but he's not as fired up as Scott Cochran, <laughs> but he's got something. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's, I, I know he's going to do the proper, I guess, ramp up and not, you know, not do too much early and, you know, ramp them up, uh, you know, going into the season. And I expect with high school kids, you know, they're young. Um, my whole thing is they, a lot of them, 90% of them don't get the proper nutrition because either they don't have it or they just want to eat junk food. But yeah. <laughs> I, I don't imagine, I think literally a lot of these schools, uh, they won't hit their stride until like game three or four. Couple, first couple games are going to literally be scrimmage games. Yeah, it's going to be and just getting their body prepared. Yeah. And yeah, so. Uh, I, I, I want to say I'm concerned, but my whole thing is um, injury. Yeah, um, I'm not worried. About, I, I'm honestly not worried about the in-game shape. But if you're not in-game shape, then that's when injuries start to happen. So yeah. No, I feel you. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think, like you said, any I think the first half of every football season to be honest this year high school college even the nfl like the first quarter the first three four games they just gonna be bad um and i think we all just need to prepare ourselves for that <laughs> well, we got, we got uh, 17 of them <laughs> yeah yeah i mean no spring ball in college no mini camps in the nfl like yeah the football is just gonna be bad it's okay let's just go ahead and get over that like because well i don't want i don't want us to talk about how bad the football is for the whole month of september like, so let's just go ahead and get that out of the way now. It's like, going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's going to be sloppy. A lot of missed tackles. A lot of interceptions and fumbles. It's fine. Football would be back. Be happy. Get used to it. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on your, on your boy Dabo. Because um, I know we, 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 spent, we spent a good amount of time talking about him last week. So we won't spend too much time there. He actually made a 14-minute video. I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch it. Um, I did. I don't plan on watching. It. I, I no, really me neither. Me neither. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. There's nothing for me to to learn in there. Uh, a couple of days later, Mike Gundy pops up with an OAN T-shirt, um, which OAN is One America News. They're um, think of Fox News on steroids. Uh, I don't know if you all have ever heard of like Breitbart or anything like that. Basically, they're a. Uh, uh, it's not news. So I don't even know what to call it. It's a a right wing channel. Um, and so on. The, I don't know if the left has a has a equal one. I mean, MSNBC and Fox News are just as bad. So I'll put that out there. But anyway, uh, OAN is is a station. They like really love Donald Trump. They're Donald Trump endorsed. Uh, they you know don't like Black sure. Lives Matter. All this other stuff. Anyway, Gundy pops up with a photo of him in an OAN shirt. Chuba Hubbard basically tweets out, "I will not stand for this." Um, and in so many ways, threatens to sit out the season. Uh, which he has plenty of leverage to do. He would have been a top 50 pick this year. Um, so if he sets out the season, yeah. it'll probably be a top 40 pick. I mean, that's one less year of damage on his body, which as a running back, I would do. He should have done that before all this anyway. Um, like running backs should never go back to school. 
They just going back to OK State. You're not winning anything. Yeah, not winning anything. Who wants to spend another year in Stillwater? Yeah, you're going to be in the top 25, you know, at the end of the season. But that's it. You're going to choke against – you're going to have a big lead against Oklahoma, and oh, then man. you're going to lose. And it's just – that's what's going to happen. And I with Gundy, I don't understand – like, for one, I don't understand how he's been there so long. That's for one. Bro, are we going to get into that? <laughs> Two, it's like, yes, you can support – I'm not, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, independent, I don't care what you are. But if you're going to show that support openly, you got to be ready to be openly criticized if somebody wants to criticize you. Exactly. And like, I saw people, you know, tweeting about, well, this kid is just young and he's criticizing somebody because of their beliefs. He has his right to do that. <laughs> as a, for one, as, and I, I, man, I hope this happens, but as a, as a head coach at a Power 5 program, you have to, for one, um, about just about every program, your players are going to be majority black. Yes. No matter what, I don't care what region you're in, especially in the Southeast, you're going to be 70, 80% black probably. Yes. But now you got to, and most, most black Americans, most, I want to say most, but not all, most black Americans are liberal. So, if you're openly supporting Trump or, you know, Republican Party or things like that, you're openly doing that. That's fine. You know, you have your belief. But you're going to have some players soon, especially because of all this going on. They're going to be asking you on their recruiting visit, hey, man, who you support? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're going to start asking these things, and I'm all for it. And that's part of your college decision. So, yes, when people say, well, don't choose the coach, choose the university. These athletes are choosing the coach. Right. And you can't get around it. Uh, no. Yes, I'm going to choose this coach, but I'm going to see if I like this university first uh, mm -hmm. as well. So if, you know, um, Kirby Smart came out and said, I support Trump, make America great again, things like that, he has to be, and I don't know what he believes, but he has to be ready for kids to say, nah, bro. I ain't going to Athens. Right. Athens is already borderline racist. And I'm now I'm not going to Athens. <laughs> I know who you support. So you, I hope this happens. Like kids are getting smarter and more knowledgeable and say, look, man, I don't want to play for a guy who supports what I don't support. Mm -hmm. And they're well, in, they're well in, within their right to do that. So, and that's why I feel about Gundy. Chuba Hubbard, like, don't apologize for going public because Heck if no. you go public, then Gundy doesn't make the statement that he has to make. Now he has to own up to what he said, whatever he said, whatever, if, if it was a lie or not, he has to do something. He has to back up whatever he said in that statement. Mm -hmm. So yes, call these people up. I love it. Um, and I am very excited to see a lot of this stuff changing. And I think one of the things we don't, sometimes recognize not you and I, but just at large is like the understanding of like these, these guys who are um, about to be, you know, high level recruits, the, the guys who are in the class of 21, 22, 23, you know, those guys were born, you know, what, 04, 05, 06. And so they're like, they grew up and saw eight years of president Obama and, and some of the vitriol he, he received not from, you know, just being a Democrat, because all that stuff is, is definitely valid. You know, you're going to have differences in parties. But I think some of the stuff, uh, some of the vitriol he received was, 
you know, specifically because, um, you know, of the color of his skin. And so they grew up seeing that, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they grew up, you know, seeing uh, in the age of Trayvon Martin and Freddie Gray and Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth. And so I think these guys are going to have a level of, you know, awareness. And then I put it to you this way, they're starting to recognize their power, but they're starting to recognize their power <clears throat> at an earlier age, because you're going to see this soon, man. If you're a top recruit in the nation, you got a lot of power. Your sophomore, junior, senior, high school, too. Not just college. And your quarterback. And these guys are starting to recognize it. And I love it. And so it's like these coaches are going to have to be it's, – it's been the, white, the, the good old white boys club for a long time. Um, but these coaches are going to have to start to – they're going to start being openly challenged. It's not going to it's not going to be enough for them to to not engage in politics or to or to you know float in the waters and try to play both sides and because it's like look, yeah you got this you got this uh, alumni donor base that's probably really heavy conservative you talk about in the south southeast southwest but then you got 80 percent of your players who are going to be black and we know ninety to ninety five percent of folks who are black vote Democrat <laughs> so. Yeah. So they're going to have to reconcile that. And mm. you can have all the money in the world you want, but all the money in the world is not going to win you SEC, ACC, Big 12 titles if you don't have those 70 to 80% black guys. Peter. And, and it's, uh, that's just what it is. All right? <laughs> and so I love it. I can't wait to see the day of reckoning. And I think it's really coming. And I, I'm excited to see, too, you know, man. I'm excited to see these guys take more, more, more of their power to start to understand that they have it. And it's like social media is, is bad on a lot of fronts, but I think, you know, this, the class that's coming up, you know, class 21, 22, 23, like they grew up in a black lives matter age. They grew up in the exactly. Twitter of Snapchat and so all the other stuff. And so you're not going to be able to, like they have receipts who I'm trying to say. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to lie to them either. You can't lie. <laughs> um, because they're going to be able to see, they can be, they can pull up this article. They can see when you said this or you did that. I'm hyped. I can't wait. On top of that though, you mentioned you don't know how Mike Gundy's lasted this long. I don't know either. Um, <laughs> Mike Gundy's been there forever, and everybody just kind of lets him off the hook. And yeah. actually, I'm a, I'm a, I'm working on this article like hot seat coaches or coaches who should be on the hot seat. Mike Gundy should be there. And like, look, I've never been to Stillwater, um, so you know I don't know how it is. Um, I I can't imagine Stillwater is that much better of a place than Norman. Maybe I'm wrong. People from Oklahoma, I, I mean, can't imagine. Um, uh, <laughs> but. How your rival, how your in-state rival is that much better than you over that same period of time and you still manage to stay in that position blows my mind, number one. Number two, Oklahoma State, like T-Boom Pickens, big oil tycoon, since passed away, rest in put so much money into that program. Yeah. Like, they have some of the best facilities in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And Mike Gundy is 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma. Um, and I take this personally because I actually picked them to make the playoff two years ago. Um, I thought they were a sneaker <laughs> pick. I thought they were a sleeper pick. I was like, this is the year. Mike Gundy's finally going to make the leap. And I think it's like clear. No, I think at this point, like Mike Gundy's not going to make a leap. Like no, you're clear who it, you are. It is what it is. Now I, I get it. I get it. If they, yeah, if they want to be an eight or nine win team, you know, every six or seven years, win 10 or 11 games, be on the brink of playing for a national title and then have Oklahoma or Texas crush their dreams. Like if they if if their administration is recognized like that's who they are, I'm fine with that. Like that's cool. But I think 
for for the amount of financial investment they've had over the past decade or so, and for how good their in-state rival is, they should be a little bit better. Seeing as they're so close to Texas, seeing as Oklahoma, which I was surprised to see this, like they they have a they don't have a booming population, but Oklahoma City and Tulsa are places where a lot of people are moving to. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got access to the southeast, they've got facilities. There should just be more of a conversation as to why he's two and thirteen against Oklahoma. Exactly. exactly. I'll put it that. I'll put it that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right um, I don't know. I think to to put a wrap on Dabo and Mike Gundy, I, the the biggest thing I I want to see folks do like in response to conversations like this is just, you know, we need to stop letting football coaches off the hook. You know, with everything, any, with everything, I don't care. And even that applies to like people like Nick Saban. If you say something outrageous, yes, you deserve to be called out on it. Yes. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Yes. And, and it's not even like, it's not even bashing. You're just not, you know, you're not above criticism for one. Mm-hmm. And you owe us an explanation if we ask for an explanation. Exactly. You're in the public eye. And you're like Nick Saban, you're God in Alabama. You are you the are mayor, or gov- you're yes. the governor of Alabama. <laughs> so if you do something questionable and I ask you about it, don't get pissy. <laughs> Answer the question. Thank you. That's Thank one of my only gripes about Nick Saban. <laughs> and, and me too. And that's and like everybody on this, like I'm we both love Nick Saban. Folklore, yeah. hero. But like, and I actually defended him one time and I I actually recanted. I was like, I shouldn't have done that. But um, when Maria Taylor asked him after the Louisville game about the quarterback situation, he was like, well, quit asking. And she handled that that's lovely. Good question. Um, that's a good question, number one. <laughs> and number two, yes, we're going to critique you and criticize you the next day. And now he yes. eventually called her and apologized to her. So that's good. But it's like, number one, and, and like people were saying, like I saw a small contingent of folks like, oh, Mike Gundy should be fired. You're reaching. That's too much. Not, not for that. No. <laughs> not for that. He now, if you want to fire him, if you want to fire him because he's two and thirteen against Oklahoma, that's fine. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> don't fire a man because he's Republicans. Right. Like <laughs> yeah, right. Fo- folks be reaching there. Um, but it's like like all most of these guys are the highest paid employee or among the top five employees that are in their state. And so yeah. Yes, those are public, public, yeah, you go out and you raise money and it comes from the booster club and all this other stuff, yada, 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 yada. These universities exist from public land grants, which means people's taxes are paid for them. And even their existence now is somewhat federally and state subsidized. All right, if you're going to be the highest paid employee in any sort of public position, when you say something or when you do something that's questionable, yeah, you owe folks an explanation. And, yep. and enough of this, like, oh, this is our program. This is how we do things. That's fine. I'm going to ask you about your program. I'm going to ask you how you do things. And I expect an answer. And when you don't answer, or you get mad about having an answer, keep <laughs> I'm going to keep at. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to ask that I get an answer, bro. That's it. I'm going to ask it a different way. And I'm going to hope you answer it eventually. So. And, yeah. and it's just like, you know, I'll close the loop on this. But it's like, these guys aren't stupid. Like, when you're when you're when you're coaching at that kind of level, doesn't matter what sport, basketball, baseball, soccer, hockey, but especially football, at the power five level, you are an incredibly intelligent human being. Like if these coaches weren't coaching football, they would be CEOs. Like that that is how complex it is to run a football program like Oklahoma State, to run a football program like Clemson. 
All right. So I'm not even one of those people who's like, oh, why are they getting paid this much? No, when you talk about the, the, the level of complexity of what they do, and that, that's just dealing with boosters, money, recruiting. That's not even the X's and O's, which is another exactly. level of, complex, of complexity, right, in managing people. So I, I, the market's going to pay what the market pays. But to that end, this is why we should not let them off the hook, because these guys are basically CEOs. They know what they're doing. If they don't know what they're doing or have a dense moment, they should be held accountable for that. Simple. And uh, like the money, we, we, we were talking about um, uh, how much the NFL team makes because of parking and concessions and all of that. Dude, these schools are making these coaches' salaries in a game. <laughs> like, come on, the, the entire coaching staff. Oh, yeah. They're making the salaries because of tickets and all of that stuff. So, you know, forget Get paid, but you're not above criticism. Yeah. I mean, we can stop watching it and they make less, but people who watch, like, I can't complain about what people make, what coaches make. I watch, I, I contribute to this. Like, exactly. <laughs> all right, man, let's make, let's turn it into, uh, well, I guess we've been talking about football. Um, <clears throat> close out today. I want to get your um, top 10 defensive. Do we have time to do this? Do we want to? That's the thing. <laughs> uh, we, we can we can run through the sec- we can run through the secondary. I, I, I can I can name them all. Let's run through the top ten guys in the secondary. This is DBs in the NFL right now. So you know, don't come at our heads because we don't have Ronnie Lawton, Ed Reed, and Troy Polamalu on here. Okay, so settle down. Everybody's being all combative right now. Um, we're gonna lean on the guy who actually played DB at a high level and coaches it um, to go through this. Y'all don't want my opinion on DBs. I would just read off interception <laughs> stats to you. Um, Kelly Schoolers, man. All right, so I had to um, I had to split it up. Uh, I had to do a top ten corner, top ten at corner, top ten at safety. I did it that way first, and then I kind of combined them. And I was thinking, okay, what? Obviously, who's the most impactful? Because impactful first, then skill, then you know, obviously, who's been productive the last couple of seasons. Um, so I'm gonna run off. I'm going to run off my top 10 in both, and then I'm going to put them together. So, corners. And these are kind of – I kind of got – I kind of had to put my my blinders off, like who's my favorite guy. <laughs> and I had to take that hat off and just kind of, you know, look at the production over the years. Number one, I'm going to go 10. Well, okay. I got 12, Byron Jones. I, I, I got 11, Jair, uh, Jair Alexander. 10, Marcus Peters, 9, Richard Sherman, 8, Darius Slay, 7, Marshawn Lattimore, 6, Casey Hayward, 5, Patrick Peterson, 4, Marlon Humphrey, 3, Tredavious White, 2, Jalen Ramsey, 1, Stephon Gilmore. Stephon, if you argue, you can't argue with anybody about Stephon Gilmore. He's the top corner in the league. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Ramsey had a kind of down year, and that's just because he didn't have turnovers, but he was still solid. Trey White, he doesn't get enough. I think because he's in Buffalo, but he doesn't get a lot of recognition. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about him. He's a beast. Nobody. Marlon Humphrey, he's on my favorite team, but, dang, we're going to have to pay this guy $17 million soon, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> we're going to have to pay him 17 a year soon because he's balling. Uh, Patrick Peterson, a couple years ago, he was probably number one guy. Kind of, you know, getting up there in age, he's still solid. He remind he's kind of in that Richard Sherman. Yeah. Uh, Richard Sherman is at nine. Richard Sherman's never been the most athletic, 
it's just his skill, man. His, his technique and things like that has kept him in the lead, <laughs> really. Um, so that's my that's my top 12. You want to go yours? You want me to run off my safeties? Run off your safeties, man. We're going with you today. All right, cool. I got <laughs> – um, I'm going to start at 12. I had to add, you know, two more. 12, Michael Hyde. 11, Landon Collins. 10, Devin McCourty. Nine, one of my favorite players, Malcolm Jenkins. I love the way he plays. Um, eight, Kevin Bynard. Uh, seven, Harrison Smith. Six, Minka Fitzpatrick, who plays for that team in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Five, Eddie Jackson. Four, Earl Thomas. Three, Florida State Seminole, Duran James. Two, Jamal Adams. One, Tyron Matthews. Uh, those top two, Ooh. the top three, really, are my favorite um, Duran James is probably going to be the best safety in the league soon because he can just do it all. I hope Tyrant so. Tyron literally plays every position but nose tackle. He can rush the passer, play in coverage, play zone, blitz, you know, all of those things. Uh, so a, a few names who don't get a lot of recognition is Harrison Smith. I think just because he's white, to be honest. That guy's a beast. <laughs> he's an all-pro player, man. He's an all-pro. And actually, man, I was I was like, because I saw um, – he Xavier Rose tried to come in his neck in their uh, playoff game this past this past all day and some little scuffle. And in my mind, I was like, Xavier, you have not been good enough this year to talk to an all pro guy like that. Like, you go sit all down. Pro. Uh, <laughs> the only time he isn't all pro is because of guys like uh, uh, I say Earl Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> guys like that are making it above him. I don't know. Uh, Even Earl. I mean, I like Earl. Earl's still a good player. I, I have I have the divisional playoff still in my head. Still a nightmare. I, so. I, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> it, aside, if you don't have that in your head, you only only thing you think about is production. Oh, yeah. Peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Then I put them together. All right. So, obviously, like I said, who's still impacting the game uh, night in and night out? Who's still producing? Has those numbers? Things like that. All right, so 10, I have uh, Patrick Peterson. Nine, I have Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson is another one of those Ooh. underappreciated guys. He, he and uh, Minka play the same exact way. And mm -hmm. as good a season, as good of a season that Minka Fitzpatrick had last year, go look at Eddie Jackson's stats. <laughs> They're right there. And he's been doing it, you know, for longer because. For a hot minute. Uh, Obviously, he's been in the lead longer. Yeah. So I got him like slightly above Mika. All right. Nine, I have, uh, I'm sorry, eight, I have Earl Thomas. Seven, I have Marlon Humphrey. All right. So you got seven and eight coming from the same secondary. Uh, six, Trey White. Five, Derwin James. Four, Jalen Ramsey. Three, Jamal Adams. Two, Stephon Gilmore. And my number one is Tyran Matthew. Like, it's, right now, he's my favorite player in the league, obviously, because he's a, He's a secondary guy first, but there's not a there's not there, there isn't anything on the field. If you ask him to do it, he's not gonna be able to do it. Yeah. And I go back and forth between okay, who's better, Tyran or Jamal Adams? I think I have Tyran slightly above him because he won he played corner before he played safety. Mm -hmm. So he has a little bit better coverage skills. But Jamal Adams is the same way. Like he's listed as a strong safety, but he can go play the deep half. You know, Stephon Gilmore, it's like he's on his Revis level where it's like, dude, nobody is completing anything. 
you know, Revis had that run for like four years where it was literally Revis Island. Yes, you couldn't throw. You, you couldn't do anything. And it was ridiculous. That's Stefan Gilmore. And I watched some film with, um, uh, what's his, Baldy, uh, Bollinger, I think. I, I, I can't remember his first name. But Brian Bollinger? Brian, yeah. Boy, Brian. I, love, I love watching film with him, man. <laughs> yeah, so he, he breaks it down. But he was in film with Stefan Gilmore and just like, hey, what do you think? What are you thinking with this? And it, man, that was, I can watch that all day. It was about 15 minutes worth of film. I can watch that all day. Just a pro player explaining what they see. And then when I, then when I hear them, I'm like, man, I used to think that same way on the field. Like, man, I could have made it. <laughs> Maybe about one or two years ago. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Don't give up on your dreams, bro. Um, nah, not no more. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Nah, <laughs> I still man. work out like I'm going to the league, but that's, that, that's the extent of it. Hey, you got you got to keep that going, man. It's it's uh it's rough to get back in shape once you get out of it. Um, I I don't think anybody can argue with Gilmore. I mean, he was the first, the first defensive back I think to win Defensive Player of the Year since what, Charles Woodson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I consider like people say, okay, you can argue like Deion Sanders. Okay, he's the goat as far as cornerback, as far as defensive backs. Charles Wilson is in that that conversation of the greatest of all time. Oh, he did for everything. Sure. That's my favorite DB of all time, just because he did everything. See, now we we gotta go. We gotta go top ten DBs of all time next week. <laughs> hey, we can we can do it. That's that's a tough list too. That's that's a tough list right there. Um, that's a tough list. We we can do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't surprised by Gilmore. If you know how Gilmore is a top DB in the game right now, I mean, I don't. No way your head is. Um, matter, matter of fact, I mean, you know, I don't know. This is this is a little bit of a hot take, but I think Gilmore should have got some MVP consideration too. Um, not that he should have won it over Lamar. Lamar was last year, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, by and far. But I, I think as we get further removed from this season, we'll realize, and this is going to be a crazy take, just how much he carried that team. Um, he carried that team. Because Tom is no longer himself either. Uh, and because they they got exposed in the in the playoff game mm-hmm. on offense, and then in the in the front seven. So playoff playoffs is when playoffs and the division opponents is when you really get exposed. Oh yeah, for who you really are. And this guy just really held his own the entire season. Yeah, the entire season it was just you couldn't do anything. I think he gave up a long pass against. I think it was New York, um, and he said he was. He said he should have pressed. He played off. No, it was Buffalo. John John Brown got him on a long post route. Oh. He, he had him. He had him running in circles. Oh, Josh Allen out here. <laughs> he was like, you know what? That was my bad. I should have pressed, but I didn't. But he didn't have but one catch after that. <laughs> he said this with Baldy. <laughs> like, hey, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, that dude. He's a baller, man. And he was a baller in Buffalo. It's he just, was. He was in Buffalo. He was, exactly. <laughs> and since what has made two two straight all-pro teams, six interceptions last year, 20 passes defended. Uh, yeah, man. man. That's a beast. And he can tackle, too. Anyway, we don't got to revisit all that. Um, well, one last question I got for you as far as – because I didn't think Marshawn Lattimore had as good a year. In fact, I thought I think he's been a little bit of a decline since his rookie year. I want to get your insight on that. I, I, 
I, yeah. Um, and when I, I think I had this debate, you know, we, we both have these Saints fans as friends. So, <laughs> and I think, because the same Saints fans, are, you know, are knocking true fun and offered and, you know, because they hate the Falcons. Exactly. So I'm like, really? Offer and Lattimore play the same. They're both grabby. Yeah. Lattimore just don't call for it as nearly as much as offer. Yeah. You know, Lattimore gets when he goes against the best, the best, he kind of gets his foes. And granted, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, that's understandable. But you gotta win some of those battles. And when I say battle, you gotta shut him down a game or two mm-hmm. if if you're one of the best. And as far as skill, he's he, he's like one of the top as far as skills and ability. But I, I agree with that. You know, his rookie year was his best year. He's still solid. But that rookie year was like, okay, this guy's about to be an all-pro. Yeah. But like I said, he's a little grabby. <laughs> but he, he faces Mike Evans twice a year. He faces, you know, Julio Jones twice a year. So he – you know, he, he's getting his battles, but bro, you gotta <laughs> you gotta win more of those if you want to be considered, you know, top five. I had him right outside of my top five, and you can say like Darius Slay is a little bit better because um, I had him at seven, Darius Slay at eight. But I think he's a little bit uh, better than you know Richard Sherman. Marcus Peters is an interception machine, but you know he, he gambles a lot. He gets yeah, beats. yeah, yeah. He gonna he, he gonna make some mistakes. He's going to give him touchdowns. <laughs> Lattimore's a top 10 guy. You can't argue that. Um, I don't have him in my top five, though, just because of those, you know, those reasons. Yeah, no, to your point. I mean, I think, I think you know, I'm, I'm, looking for, I'm looking to see if Marshawn can not necessarily regain his rookie form, but improve upon that. But I think it's going to be interesting for him this year. One, because he's got, I mean, well, Mike Evans was there before, but he's got Mike Evans with a better quarterback. Brady isn't who he used to be, but he's better than James Winston. So you got that. You know, they got the, you got the NFC North. So you got Devontae Adams. I don't know if I'd put Adam Thielen in there. Um, but, you know, you got some considerations there. You still got Julio twice a year. You know, you're going to have, you know, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton, you know. So I'm, I'm you know, this – we Tyreek, they play the Chiefs this year, Tyreek Hill. I mean, we've spoken at length about <laughs> – We're going to see this year. <laughs> about you, yeah, we gonna really see where where him and Marcus Hill and some of them other guys on that defense are um, this year. Not not as if they didn't face stiff challenges before, um, but but it's it's those names you just reeled off right there. Those those are a lot of top ten guys you just named. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching the Saints crumble this year. I can't wait. So I can't <laughs> love all the Saints fans out there. Uh, Kelly, man, good show, man. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. Hey, hey. It's, it's always good to, you know, get away from the <laughs> get away from the home life and just talk about sports. Hey, definitely, man. Y'all sports join us next sport. week. <laughs> sport. Oh, well, next week, a whole lot more sports. Way less yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. Unless things happen. You never know. We go with the flow. This is all You're 22. Right. We'll see y'all next week.